I've heard it said that if you go deep sea diving, and I haven't been before, so I've only heard about this, but there's a certain point that you can get to in deep sea diving where you can begin to become really disoriented. And it can get to a certain point where you lose all of your sense of direction, including your sense of what's up and what's down. And now I'm not a particularly claustrophobic person. I'm not really claustrophobic at all. But the thought of being underwater and not knowing which way to get out of it gives me a really uneasy feeling way down deep inside. And so I was doing a little reading about it this week, and I found out there's a couple ways that this can happen. One is you can get deep enough, or what more is more common is you can find yourself in a cave or in a cavern, and all of a sudden the light from the sun above can get blocked out. And so you lose that sense of direction because the light that normally comes from the sun that gives you this idea of, okay, I can go towards the light, all of a sudden is gone. And so you can find yourself in a dark cave, and if you do a turn or two, then all of a sudden you don't know which way is up, which way is down, and how you're going to get out. Another way that it can happen is some divers can get a certain type of vertigo. And the further down you go, the the deeper this vertigo gets. And you can get to a certain point where, not because of any sort of change in the environment, but because of a change that happens inside of you, you become completely disoriented and can't figure out which way is up and which way is down. Again, deeply horrifying. But one of the things that they were recommending on pretty much every site that I was reading about this on is if you find yourself in that situation where you don't know which way is up and which way is down and you need to get out, they recommended countless times that you breathe through your oxygen tank and you see the bubbles that come out when you blow out your oxygen and those bubbles, unless there's a crazy current or some kind of undertow, are going to find their way to the top. And even when you can't tell which way is up, when you follow those bubbles, they know which way to go, and you can find your way up. Sometimes, our circumstances, the things that are going on in our lives, have the power to steal our sense of direction. They have the power to disorient us and take even things that we know intrinsically to be true and cause us to forget those things. And in the case of ancient Israel, especially during the exile, this is something that really could have been possible for them. They were taken out of their home, out of the place that they knew, out of the place that they lived for generations, and dropped somewhere that they had no concept of anything that was going on around them. And so they could have become not just physically and culturally disoriented, but spiritually disoriented as well. And so for the people of Israel, they needed to be able to follow the bubbles. They needed something that could give them the sense of what's right and what's wrong, of what's up and what's down. And it was in that context that this psalm, that Psalm chapter 114, was probably written. And Psalm 114, as we're going to see, throws back to another time when God's people were disoriented, not just physically, but spiritually. And what's so amazing about the psalms is they do something in a way that other parts of Scripture don't. And so the people of Israel certainly would have known the stories of the Passover. They certainly would have known the stories of all the things that took place as God led his people from Egypt into the promised land. These would be stories that they would have heard their entire lives, that they would hear at all their feasts and festivals. But when they were put in this form as a psalm, it takes something that's history and takes something that's fact and puts it in a way that can not only be memorized, but can be internalized. There's something about poetry, there's something about artistic language that helps us to understand things on a different level. 
And so this psalm reminds the ancient Israelites who were in exile. But it also has meaning and purpose for New Testament Christians because it reminds all of God's people that the God that they serve is a God who saves, even when circumstances seem grim. And so we're going to look at chapter 114 this morning and see first and foremost, as we will with all of these psalms, the nature and the character of God and who he is and the incredible power that he has. But we're also going to look at not only what this says about God, but what this says about our relationship with God and who he is to his followers and how that gives strength to weary exiles. And so from Psalm chapter 114, this is God's word. It says, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. May God add His blessing and His favor to the reading of His Word. Thanks be to God for His Word. Father, we thank You for Your Word as we do every week. God, we also thank You for the constant reminder that You are a God who saves. But not only that You're a God who saves, but that You are a God who loves us so much that You communicate that salvation in a way that we can know and understand and internalize. And so God, in the midst of times when circumstances can seem overwhelming, help us to remember who You are. And how faithful you are even when we're not. And remind us of the beauty of this relationship that we have with you because of the grace and mercy of your Son. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first reminder that the people of God get in this passage of Scripture is that God is with you. That God is with you. When I was a kid, I was horrified of the movie The Wizard of Oz. Which is really logical because flying monkeys. And that's disturbing and it's weird and it's odd and it was more than I could handle or care to. But now, now that I'm comfortable with the concept of flying monkeys, I still wouldn't want to see one, but I'm over the fear of flying monkeys. There's something else about the Wizard of Oz that makes me a little uncomfortable. Because if you've seen the book, or if you've read the book or seen the movie, then you know you have this girl who lives in Kansas. She gets caught in a tornado. She closes her eyes. She wakes up and she's in a completely different place. And everything that Dorothy knows and everything that she's comfortable with and familiar with is completely different. Even down to the color, which is a really nice touch because her normal life was black and white. And now she opens her eyes and there's all of these colors and everything is vibrant and radiant. And when you watch Dorothy early on in the movie, everything that she encounters isn't just strange, but it's frightening. There's a sense of fear that's portrayed everyone she meets, not just the wicked witch, but even the good witch, not just the people who come to hurt her, not just the flying monkeys, which again, reasonable fear, but also the people who would become her friends and her companions at first caused her a sense of unease. Because there's something really unnerving when you're not in Kansas anymore. There's something really unnerving when everything that you're familiar with is gone and you find yourself in a situation where nothing is the way that you think it should be. And during the time of exile, the Israelites weren't in their Kansas anymore. 
There had to be so much disorientation that was happening, so much confusion. On a physical level, there had to be confusion for the people of Israel. Because think about it. They were in this land that God had given to them now for several generations. They knew where the temple was. They knew where they went to worship. They knew where their home was. They knew how to get to the marketplace. They knew how to get to their friend's house if they wanted to go somewhere for dinner. And now they're taken out of that place that they were familiar with and put in another place where they had no idea where anything was. They had a new home and nothing was normal. And so they were physically disoriented, but they were also culturally disoriented. Because all of their traditions, all of their practices, even the routines of daily life would be completely different when they were in Assyria or Babylon, or as this would continue into Persia and Greece and Rome. Everything was different than what they were used to and what they were familiar with. And so all of their culture and all their traditions were turned upside down and on their heads. And they would have also had spiritual confusion. Not just because now they would be in a place filled with all these other gods and all these idols. But there was some internal spiritual disorientation happening because remember, this land that they lived in, the place where Israel built the temple and the walls and their houses, this was land that God had promised to their people generations before when he came to Abraham and told them that he had this plan. This was the land that God promised to take them to and through Moses and then through Joshua led the people into the promised land and it was the place that they believed was going to be their home forever and now all of a sudden everything has changed. They're taken out of the land, the temple's been destroyed and so they have to be asking the question, why is this happening to us? Has God left us? Has God abandoned us? Was this never part of the plan at all? And so they were losing their sense of up. They were in a tough spot and a scary place and they needed to find their strength. They needed to be able to follow the bubbles, to find out where their hope was. They needed something to cling to. But this wasn't the first time that the people of Israel were in this kind of situation. And that's the point that the psalmist is trying to draw the worshipers of God back to. Because the first verse in chapter 114 talks about that time when Israel again was in a place that wasn't their own. It says, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Hundreds of years before the exile took place, the people of God, as we know and as we talked about last week, were in captivity in Egypt. A place that wasn't their home, under an authority that wasn't their own, and they were captives. They weren't just foreigners, they weren't just strangers, but they were slaves. And again, the language of this is so strong because the psalmist says that the house of Jacob came out from a people of a strange language. And since I'm just talking about all the things that make me uneasy and uncomfortable, I get really uncomfortable when I feel like people are carrying on an inside joke around me that I'm not a part of. Now, I'm sharing this information with you in the hopes that as friends and family, We're not just going to come up with a bunch of inside jokes to carry on around Chris so that we make Chris feel uncomfortable. Because Chris, if you haven't learned yet, is very socially awkward in situations like that. And I'll just say weird things or laugh at inappropriate times. And then I'll feel more uncomfortable. And then you'll feel uncomfortable because you're like, oh, poor Chris, why is he acting weird? And then it'll just be really uncomfortable for all of us. And so take that in your heart and just love me because of it. But it does. It makes me uncomfortable. Because there's a sense of isolation, right? When you feel like you're not catching on to what's going on or somebody's talking around you, it can feel very lonely. 
And if I feel that way about inside jokes, I have to imagine that if I find myself in a situation where I'm the only person who speaks my language, there would have to be an incredible amount of isolation to that. To know that everyone around me is able to talk and communicate with each other, but there's no way for me to properly communicate with them or them to communicate with me. And so when the psalmist writes about the people of Israel being amongst a people of strange language, it shows us the, the depth of the isolation that they were experiencing because they weren't just foreigners. They weren't just strangers in this land. They weren't even just slaves, but they were culturally and linguistically isolated from the people around them. They were in a really difficult spot. But then when they left Egypt, everything changed. Verse 2 says that when God took them out of Egypt, that Judah became his sanctuary and Israel became his dominion. And when this exodus took place, we find that people who once lived under the echoes of a strange tongue now found themselves in the company of a God who spoke directly to their hearts. Not a Pharaoh who looked down on them from afar with a strange language, but a God who met face to face with Moses. And as the words left God's lips, they entered Moses' ears. And he became their God and they became his people. And it says that Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. That God dwelt among his people. And that Ark of the Covenant was a reminder that God was in their midst and that God was in their presence. And so when Israel became his sanctuary, there's this beautiful truth that God was with his people and they could worship him freely and that they were connected to their God. But also it reminds the people that they were in the midst of sanctuary because God was with them. And the language of sanctuary, the reason why we call this main room where we worship sanctuary is not only because we were able to worship God freely, but because this is a safe space. A space where people should be able to come and find rest and to find peace and to find comfort. And so God takes the people out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery, and he brings them into a place of sanctuary where they have rest and peace because he is their God. They have a safe space because God is a safe king as opposed to the Pharaoh who is a difficult taskmaster. Now this doesn't mean that all of their situations became rosy from that point on because we know they didn't. As soon as they left Egypt, they found themselves in the midst of another difficult situation when they looked at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies were coming behind them. Then after that, they move into the wilderness for 40 years and then they approach the Jordan River and find another place where they couldn't get by. There was turbulence and turmoil from every point on in the midst of the, for the rest of the people's lives and for the generations to follow that. But they were reminded constantly that even though their situations were difficult, Even though they found themselves in hard times, they were never alone and they were never isolated because God was with them and they were his people. That Israel was his dominion and Judah was his sanctuary. And so every time the psalm was read, every time the psalm was uttered, every time the psalm was memorized, every time the psalm was used in the worship and in the liturgy of the people of God, they were reminded that God is with us. They were reminded that there's no border or no boundary. There's no people and there's no king that can keep God away from his people. And as long as God is on his throne, he will be with them. They will be his dominion. They will be his sanctuary. They will be his people and he will be their God. And so that first declaration is very simply and very profoundly that God is with you. 
Then the psalmist continues to point out the fact that God is for you. For the worship of God, worshipers of God who is declaring this truth, they would be reminded that God is not only present with them, but God is for them and acts on their behalf. And once the people left Egypt, it was very clear that there was no army or that there was no king who could stand against their God because God was going to get them to their promised land no matter what. But as they begin their journey, as we just talked about, another and possibly more formidable opposition began to arise. Because no longer do they have to worry about armies chasing after them, but the earth itself seemed to want to keep the people from getting to their destination. As we've already talked about, they leave Egypt and then they come face to face with the Red Sea. And it doesn't seem like there's any way that they're going to be able to cross it. And Pharaoh's army is breathing down their neck. And so there was the fear and the concern that, oh, what happened? God got us out of Egypt and there was this big production with the Passover and all this stuff. And it was so amazing and it gave us this hope. But now this hope is going to be completely drowned out because we're either going to run into the sea and die or Pharaoh's army is going to catch us. And they're not taking us back into slavery, but they're going to kill us where we stand. And so did God really set us free just so that we could die? Verse three, the first part says that the sea looked and fled. That when God's people got to the Red Sea, the Red Sea had no power or authority over God or his people, but God opened up the Red Sea so that the people could walk across on dry land. The sea itself fled from the power of God. And so they wander through the wilderness for a while, and then they're getting so close to the promised land, and then there's another body of water. The Jordan River, and they're so close, but they're so far away to the point where they were probably thinking about turning back. And going back to somewhere else. Or maybe just setting up camp there and think, you know what? We're close enough to the promised land. Maybe this is far enough. But the second part of verse 3 says the Jordan turned back. And again, we see something as uncontrollable as the forces of nature that are put together in the waters themselves. Something that would have inspired fear in the lives of these people. God takes the Jordan River and he opens it up and the people follow the Ark of the Covenant from one side to the other and find themselves eating the food in the promised land. But in the middle of all that came Mount Sinai. And while Mount Sinai wasn't an obstacle in and of itself that the people had to cross, Mount Sinai represented something much deeper and much more difficult. Because when Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments from God, the people were reminded of the distance between themselves and their God. That even though he was with them and even though he dwelt among them, he was still separate from them because of their sin. And only Moses could go up to take the commandments from God. And only Moses could go and receive this word from God and had to bring it down to the people. But Mount Sinai also represented the depths of how separated they were from God in their own hearts. Because while Moses went up to the top of the mountain, we know what the people of God were doing at the bottom. That they took all of their possessions and they melted them down and they formed an idol and began to worship that idol. They turned their back on the God who rescued them from Egypt, the God who helped them cross over the Red Sea, the God who was feeding them as they were wandering through the wilderness, and they turned their back on that God to worship something that they crafted out of their own hands. But verse 4 says that the mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. And we're reminded that even creation itself couldn't stand against God's plan. 
that Israel's God had no limitations, no oppositions, not even the seemingly immovable forces of nature can deter his plans or threaten his people, not even the sin that lived inside their own hearts. So there was no nation, there was no king, there was no principality, there was no piece of land or sea that could separate them. Not even the sin that they harbored and the idolatry in their own hearts could keep God from doing what he was going to do in the life of his people. And then the tone begins to change as we look at verse 5 and 6. As we see this this rise of God's power revealed through this passage, verse 5 and 6 get a little cocky. They get a little arrogant as the people start to question these forces of nature. And they say, what ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you would turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills, like lambs? And this language is almost patronizing. It belittles these, these forces of nature that at one point in time seemed completely overwhelming. The things that caused the people of Israel fear and dismay and wanted, made them want to turn back away from what God was leading them to do. Now, in their liturgy, in their worship, they're able to look at all of these things that once caused them fear and talk down to them like a child that's threatening you. Saying, who do you think you are, see? Who do you think you are, rivers and mountains, that you think that you can stand before God and His people? And we're reminded that this is the kind of God that Israel could look to for hope and peace because He is for them and He works for them and all of these things that cause them fear are now nothing because they realize the might and the power of the God that they worshipped. And so as the people would sing this psalm, they would come face to face with the awesome power of the God who saved them and that would bring a faith that brought them peace in all circumstances, because they would remember that not only is God with them, but God works for them. And then finally, we see that God works through you. The last section of this makes the declaration that God is not only with you, that he's not only on your side working for your good, but that God works through you. Verse 7 and 8, the tone again changes here. And it says, tremble, O Lord, at the present, or tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. And so we see this transition happening through this whole thing. It walks us through an emotional arc. Where at the beginning, we see the people of Israel in the house of Egypt in a people of strange language. And there's the isolation and there's the fear and the despair of being lonely and captive and not being able to do anything about it. But then God takes the people out of Egypt, but there's still the things that cause them fear. There's still the Red Sea and the Jordan River and Mount Sinai and all these things that cause the people to doubt and lose their sense of direction and lose their orientation. But time and time again, they see the power of God working in incredible ways. And so as the people would see the sea look and fled and the Jordan took back and the mountains skip like rams, all of a sudden they had a little boldness and they had a little swagger in the way that they worshiped and they would say, who do you think you are? And then it moves from questioning to declaration. The people of God would not only question the power of the forces of the world, but then they would start telling it what to do. Say, tremble, O earth in the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, because he has the power to turn the rocks into pools of water and the flints into the springs. 
And so by the end of this psalm, it is clear that there's nothing that can stand before God. And because of that, if these people truly are the people of God, and if he is with them, and if he is for them, then he's certainly going to work through them. And so there's no reason for his people to fear, but only to find strength. Many, many years later from this, Jesus would say that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, get up and move. And that's the heart of this psalm. The people being able to look at something that seems insurmountable and say, you have no power or dominion or authority because not only is my God stronger than you, but he works in and through me. And so I have nothing to fear, but you certainly do. The same God that caused the mountains to tremble now is causing his people to stand firm because of his sovereignty and his power. No wonder this psalm was so important in the life and in the corporate worship of the people of God. Now, while we're focusing a lot on what this means for the people, we have to remember that the ultimate point of worship is about exalting and glorifying God. And that's certainly the case in these psalms, that the centerpiece of all of these things is not Israel and their exploits and all the things that they've done well, but it's about the power and the glory and the awesome nature of God. And for the people of Israel, when they came together to sing these psalms and to use them in worship, and the same thing for us as well, when we come to worship God, we come to give, not to receive. That our ultimate purpose in worship should be to give God glory and give God praise, not to go seeking what we can get out of it. But the amazing thing about worship is that even though it's it's God-focused and it's supposed to be focused on glorifying God, when the worshiper of God encounters His power and His majesty, when we go and we worship God for who He is, it's absolutely impossible not to receive in turn. It's absolutely impossible not to receive peace and comfort and blessing and strength and hope and all of these things. And so for the people of ancient Israel, when they would sing and recite this psalm, they would find God and they would find his power and his might and authority. And as they did, they would be reminded that he's the same God who works in and through them. And through that, they would find and receive this identity. They would receive sanctuary and boldness and strength and peace. And so for the people of Israel in exile, even as they were in the midst of this place that should be confusing and disorienting and horrifying, they were being reminded that God's people were God's people. And that's all they needed to weather the storms because the same God who caused the mountains to tremble gives them the power to speak those words to the forces that once caused them fear. And so every time the psalm was used in worship, the people were reminded that God is with you, God is for you, and that God works through you. And because of that, there's no reason to fear. This is your way up. This is your way back to who God is. Today, as New Testament Christians looking back on these stories, we find ourselves in a kind of exile. Not an exile like the Israelite people found themselves in, although there are certainly Christians all over the world who find themselves in real physical exile. But for Christians today, we find ourselves in a place of exile spiritually. Because we know this world is our home, that this is our forever place, that God is one day going to come and redeem and restore it, but it's not the way that it should be. And we don't have to look too hard to find out that there is absolute brokenness in this world. 
So many times we can feel like strangers in a place that we don't seem to belong. And it even feels like we speak a different language. As Christians, we should have a different worldview, and having a different worldview comes with a different set of words. Even though we may be speaking the same natural language, when you talk about things from a Christian perspective, it sounds very different and very unique. And sometimes we can hear people around us talking about the way that they see the world, and it's very striking and very different, and sometimes can cause us to feel very isolated. And then if you mix that with the fact that our lives... And our circumstances are often very far from perfect. It can be very easy to become disoriented. It can be very easy to forget. It can become very easy to lose our sense of which way is up. But God, in Christ, came to bring a sense of belonging and a sense of identity and a sense of purpose to show us which way was up. Because while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God loved us so much that He gave Christ. That God reached down to where we were to help us to see Him where He was. And all those who believe in Him become His sanctuary. And we become His dominion. We're His people. And because of that, because of our faith in Christ, and because of the identity that we're giving in Jesus, we're reminded in the same way that the ancient Israelites were, that there is no government, that there's no power, that not even creation itself, or even our own sin that lives inside of us, could stand against God and could keep us from being His people. When we encounter this psalm, just like the people of ancient Israel, we must remember that the same God who split the sea, the same God who pulled back the Jordan River, is the same God who turned water into wine and calmed a storm. That the same God who caused the mountains to quake is the same God who raised the dead and shook the earth when He breathed His last breath and then shook it again when He took the first steps out of the tomb through His resurrection. And again, we have the promise that the same God who causes the ground to tremble is able to cause His people to stand firm because we're reminded that because of Christ, that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where our circumstances take us, no matter how dark things may seem, no matter how disoriented we may become, that we are God's people and that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God works through us. And that's all we need to find strength even in the midst of of exile. And so I want to encourage you, especially if you find yourself in a circumstance right now that feels overwhelming like that and feels disorienting, but even if you're not, to spend some time this week just reading through and praying through and reciting this psalm and being reminded of the strength and the power of God and who He is and what He's able to do. And when you remember that God was able to harden the heart of Pharaoh and take his people out without even breaking a sweat, when you remember that God was strong enough to take the Red Sea that seemed insurmountable and open it up so that the people could walk across, when you remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die, but that death couldn't hold him down, but three days later he shook the ground and opened the tomb and walked out, as you remember that power of God, and as you remember that that God is with you and for you and works through you, may you find strength and hope and peace in all of your circumstances and always remember which way is up. Always remember who God is and what that means for you as his child and remember that one day, 
all of these circumstances, all of our Egypts, all of our exiles will come to an end as Christ makes all things right and all things new. And because of that, as we do with all of these psalms, give God praise.